Guys, we're going to have a great episode today. Before we get into that, I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for all the support that you get. I want to remind you that you can reach out to me on Instagram. If you don't follow, follow it at jscottoutdoors. Uh, feel free to send me a DM. I love uh, corresponding with you guys about your hunts and any questions that you might have. Uh, we're going to have a great episode. I also want to thank uh, the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, he's the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager over there at GoHunt.com at the gear shop. Uh, You can reach out directly uh, for info or for sales at 702-847-8747. You can also email him at optics at GoHunt.com. He also uh, gets texts from uh, my listeners at, on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. Feel free to send him a text if you're looking for a certain tripod or binocular or spotting scope or rifle scope, anything to do with optics. Uh, give Cody Nelson a call or a text. I want to thank GoHunt.com also and remind you guys that the GoHunt maps, the mobile app, um, mapping apps, are now available on iTunes and Android. Uh, they have real 3D. Um, it's awesome, awesome 3D mapping on these mobile apps. Uh, you can get a free trial, a seven-day free trial, by going to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You can also check in the show notes. I'll have it linked up. You get a seven-day free trial. That gives you access to everything in the Insider as well as uh, g- let you look at the, the mapping apps uh, both on the desktop and on your phone. Uh, you can also sign up. Uh, by going to GoHunt.com and just use J. Scott, and that's going to save you $50. Uh, you're actually going to get a GoHunt gift card, $50 GoHunt gift card when you sign up. So go check it out. also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Go to K-U-I-U-Kuyu.com uh, to order the gear right there that are direct-to-consumer model. Uh, so that's the only place you can get the gear, as well as phonescope.com. Use the jscott21 promo code, and you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, guys, let's get right to this episode, and again, thanks for listening. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm excited to have Steve Chapel of Elk Camp Guide Service and Zero Hunt Fees on the line. My good friend, Steve, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, you know, um, it's um, time for me to get back in the saddle. I've had a bunch of listeners going, dude, what's going on? Where's where's the podcast on Arizona elk and antelope? A little recap, I've been in Mexico and uh, just got back. Um, Had a great uh, couple of weeks down there in Mexico. Had guided and DIY hunters and uh, had a really good season, Steve. We had that uh, good monsoonal moisture, uh, which pretty much uh, related to or um, translated into good antler growth uh, down in Mexico. You know, the coos deer, they grow their antlers longer than the elk do, and I think they really benefited from, you know, some of that July, August uh, moisture that we got, and a lot of the ranches had you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 inches of rain, where mostly that monsoon average is usually around 12 to 15 inches total. So across the board, we were um, better than average, and I think it had good timing. 
Uh, but we're yeah. we're right here, kind of at the end of January. We're looking at a February eighth deadline for the Arizona elk and antelope applications. And I wanted to start these podcasts off with you. Um, you and I were partners for a long time uh, in the guide service together. Uh, for years, we worked together. Um, we've we're kind of elk junkies. I would call us both elk calling junkies. Right. Um, known you since the late 90s, and um, we've uh, shared a lot of great experiences, a lot of great hunts together. Um, I want to start out by um, just doing a little bit of a recap. Uh, Elk Camp Guide Service, um, you've, you've kind of rebranded and changed the name because of your TV show, I believe. Uh, for years, it was Chapel Guide Service. And I've got to imagine because of the TV show, it was just an easy transition to kind of keep everything in the guide service under the Elk Camp guide service name. Talk a little bit about that and um, how that transition just in in the name alone has been with Chapel Guide Service. And then certainly with zero hunt fees and the just, I, I get messages all the time. Hey, I'm part of Steve's zero hunt fees program. Um, and uh just talk a little bit about that transition with the new name with the tv show and then the zero hunt fees yeah jay thank you so yeah we had the chapel guide service name for going on just over 20 years so it was a little bit of a tough decision you know because i I feel like people know you as that and you're branded as that and that's a good thing uh, you know, when you were with me, it was Chapel and Scott Guide Service, and uh, I tell you what, we <laughs> we had a good run then, man, didn't we? It was awesome. For sure. Um, but yeah, I think with um, you know the the start of this TV show, which uh, is going into season five this coming summer, um, and it, it being called Elk Camp, I think that's a great fit for the show and the content of the show. I just got to thinking that that would be a better match for the guide service and kind of keep everything in continuity. Um, I think it's nice for my guides, too, to be able to wear hats that say Elk Camp on them instead of Chapel Guide Service. Kind of nice to not be wearing someone else's name on their hat. So I think that's kind of nice all the way around. But, yeah, the main thing was just keeping, you know, a, a, a theme that kind of flowed well together. And, and that, that's, that's basically the only reason I changed the name is I just thought it was a better fit for the, for the show and the guide service together. Sure. And um, how is the show going? Um, You know, uh, I I get a lot of messages and people talking about, uh, you know, the old uh, series, uh, Extreme Bulls. Um, That's kind of what, you know, you kind of cut your teeth on video editing and, and, you know, trying to film quality elk hunts. And then now you've transitioned that into now five seasons with Elk Camp TV. Um, talk a little bit about Elk Camp TV, the TV show, how it's going, um, maybe some of the things, uh, you know, hurdles that you that you kind of run across with the show, um, trying to portray. Because i, I, I got to think one of the hardest things is really trying to bring and captivate, bring those elk right into, the, into people's living rooms. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Jay. So I, I think the show is going really well. It's being very well received um you know even though some would maybe call it a niche show being elk specific i think we've gotten you know garnered a pretty wide audience just because even people who live out in the west and the midwest i mean they dream about coming out here and hunting in the west 
and hunting bugling elk. So I think that's resulted resulted in us having you know a strong following and a good viewership. Um, I, I find out all the time new places where people can actually watch the show. Um, I just noticed a couple of days ago it's on Amazon Prime the first four seasons of the show, um, and I didn't even really realize that. So. People could view it there the first four seasons. They could also view it on uh, My Outdoor TV. It's a digital app. Um, MOTV.com is where you could go. They could view four full seasons there. And also, there's hundreds of other great shows that they could view there. Um, uh, some of the challenges along the way, you know, as far as editing, were, was just learning the TV format and the fact that you're, you're editing these episodes to air on television and they've got to be basically 22 minutes of content with eight, eight minutes of commercial time. And there's got to be uh, four commercial breaks. So that was kind of tough. You know what I'm saying? Making episodes come out to exactly 22 minutes to the frame with those commercial breaks put in there. Um, so there was a little bit of a learning curve there. Um, but I think if there's a will, there's a way. And I, I've just been, you know, determined to, to learn and improve. And I think every year the show improves in, in some fashion. And so I, I really, you know, it, it, it's my life and what makes me tick. And I'm super proud and blessed by it for sure and really feel fortunate. Tell me about um, zero hunt fees and kind of um, just kind of a 30,000 foot view of, of starting that and it's been such a success tell tell the listeners um about it if they haven't already heard of it uh your program is is phenomenal and gives uh everybody a chance to potentially afford an elk hunt and go on an elk hunt and then we're going to dive into um arizona specific you bet jay yeah so uh you know you highlighted this i think the last time we talked is that i'm now offering it to residents as well so it's available to arizona residents and non-residents so that's a wonderful thing it's very simply a 349 dollars a year membership and the best thing about it is is that if you draw an arizona elk tag and you're a zero hunt fees member that membership covers the cost of your guided hunt so you are not paying the guide fees that you see on my website your membership covers that i also give the members yearly application and hunt choice consultation so i have a a very good system that walks them through you know how to navigate the arizona application process uh what hunts to select and and why i work individually with each person and help them pick hunts that are a good fit for them based on several criteria um really the program initially originally came about because I was talking to, gosh, probably several hundred people a year about applying in the draw. And uh, I was just thinking, how can I make this make sense? And how can I make a guided hunt more in the, in, within the you know, financial means of more people than just people who are blessed enough to pay, you know, six, $8,000 for an elk hunt. And, um, you know, this just really bridged that gap and makes a guided elk hunt affordable to really just about anyone who would like to do it. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, every elk season, for sure. I get people that have hunted with you, you and your team, and, um, they, they rave about the program. Um, why don't you tell people how they can sign up for the program? Uh, and then we're going to dive in here. 
Yeah, so to find out more about it, they could log on to zerohuntfees.com. They're going to hear a lot of detail about the program there. Within the Zero Hunt Fees website, there's a contact form they can fill out and reach out to me that way. And then I can respond to them and get them on the fast track, not only to getting in the program, but to getting applied in the draw. We can literally go from them being a new member to being applied in the draw within just a few hours very easily. Good stuff. Uh, Steve, Arizona uh, elk and antelope applications are due here February 8th. Um, and we've got an archery season that's September 9th through the 22nd in most units. And then a early rifle or muzzleloader season from the 23rd to, to the 6th, I believe. Uh, that might not be right. The tw- uh, 23rd is the start date. Yep. Um, talk about your idea of those dates of starting archery elk on September 9th. Yeah, Jay. Um, I really feel like that is early for us in Arizona. Um, It's not optimal for sure. Thankfully, it is the earliest that the archery hunt is going to be in this five-year season structure. So we're on the last year of that. Next year, we'll be on a new five-year structure, and it will push to the 15th through the 28th of September for the archery hunt. That will be much better, but I know we got to deal with reality and what it is this year. I, I think that the hunt, you know, could get good once we get past the 15th and especially 17th, 18th, you know, the last five to seven days of it could get good. Um, I noticed there's a full moon on, on the, the 10th. 10th. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the first week of that hunt could be pretty rough. As long as people realize that and and have a mentality that they're in it to win it and going to stick it out, that they'd be fine. Um, because I think it will get better as the hunt goes on. When you look at the moon phase and you look at September 25th as a new moon, uh, when you're talking about the September 23rd through the 29th, um, I got to correct myself on most of the muzzleloader and early rifle elk hunts. You're talking about dark moon during that, that whole period. I've got to think that those, um, rifle early rifle and muzzleloader hunts this year will be absolutely off the hook. Your thoughts? Yeah, totally. Jay, I couldn't agree more. I mean, optimal hunt dates for that, for muzzleloader and early rifle, uh, Gosh, I, I think that that hunt starts right when the rutting usually gets really good and, you know, lasts till late in the month. Um, man, if I was somebody with a lot of points or a guy that got lucky and drew a random tag, I would just be grinning from ear to ear to have an early rifle or muzzleloader hunt this year. Let's talk a little bit about um, point creep and the fact that it's taking more points now to draw than ever. I just don't really see this problem getting fixed. Um, curious your thoughts on it and the amount of points that it's taking now to draw some of these hunts. Yeah, Jay, um, it, it is for real. It's definitely a real thing. Um, I think all states have that, that have point systems for sure. I, I do like the fact that our draw is a hybrid draw and that, you know, well, 80% of the tags are random when you look at it overall. And if you're a non-resident specifically, 
half of your non-resident tags are bonus point and half are random as far as the non-resident tags go. So I think that that helps a lot and makes the draw a lot more sensible, even though we do have the point creep. You are correct. I'm noticing that, you know, these early rifle hunts and muzzleloader hunts to guarantee you a tag for some of these better hunts is you're going to take beyond 26 points to guarantee you the tag. Um, you know, whereas in the past it was, you know, a few lower than that. I can remember guiding someone in 2008 on the unit nine archery hunt and he had 14 points back then. And he drew tag number one for that hunt in 2008. Now that hunt I'm thinking is going to take 23 or more points to guarantee you that tag as a non-resident. So it's, it's not necessarily, I'm not seeing a point per year, but pretty close to that as far as the point creep. But what everybody needs to keep in mind is that you still have those random tags and you always have a chance to draw on the random draw. So the draw is certainly not all about points, thank goodness. Yeah, and you know, years ago we went through where they made the, the non-residents have a chance at 5% of the tags prior to that it basically became a, a deal where a non-resident that didn't have enough points was, you know, capped out, if you will, and, and wasn't even in the draw. How do you think that that random 5% now has played out, and what are your thoughts with that? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a necessary change, and I applaud the Game and Fish for doing that in 2016. I mean, I, I, I didn't... I didn't leverage that to create zero hunt fees, but I feel like it makes zero hunt fees make sense now because half of the non-resident tags are random and they truly have a chance to draw every year. I'll, I'll take a specific hunt that's a, a good solid hunt in Arizona. Archery in Unit 1 that has 250 bull tags. The state issues 10% of those tags to the non-residents or up to 10%. So the non-residents can get up to 25 of those tags. But the good thing about the draw is it's going to issue the first 12 of those to the highest bonus point holders, but then there's going to be 13 non-resident tags that are potentially available in the random draw. So when you compare that to some of the other states like Utah and Nevada, I think that is a very good allocation. Um, you know, very, I'm not going to say high odds to draw a tag, but you know, you're in, you're in the running. You've got a reasonable amount of tags, even a, great archery hunt some of our great archery hunts that have a hundred bull tags you know you have 10 non-resident tags there potentially and five of those are random so uh i i think it makes sense you know if someone's interested in hunting big elk arizona our draw is the best in the west and it's a must apply for elk state speaking of that um if you had to be pinned down to say your top five or six choices and let's talk archery elk here um what's your list look like yeah jay ah, it's changed just a little bit i'll explain why um i think right off the top you know 23 either north or south i mean they're different type of hunts but those are right at the top of the list for sure for me especially 23 north because i love to call um 3a 3c is typically a great archery hunt uh Unit 10 can definitely be great um, if we have, you know, average or good moisture. 
and we have a decent rut, they, they could just be, it can be phenomenal out there. Like, you know, you experienced when I came out there with you in 2005, it was pretty epic, the rutting out there. Um, I don't know that it's ever been that good since. Right. Like, right. I, I mean, 05 was an unbelievable moisture year and I had already killed that really big bull on the reservation. And then, and then Gene and I both had tags, but I mean, I look back at the action that we had in 05 the yeah. amount of big bulls and the amount of just sheer chaos and bugling and call-ins, uh, like, I, I hope that wasn't, but it was, it's almost like that was the top of the top, and, and it's never really been that good since. Do, do you yeah. ever sit back and think about that? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, and is that, the best behind us, or, or what happened? Yeah, I think it is, and and that brings me to, I, I am just not as high on unit nine as I used to be. And here's why I feel like the trophy quality and trophy potential is every bit there. Um, the last three years, you know, we, we put on some great bulls, especially in 2019. I had some action with some big bulls that year, but what I found more and more going on in that unit is that you just have more spotty and unpredictable bugling activity. And especially on a year like this with the archery hunt being earlier, I just feel like that hunt could be very, very average or poor as far as bugling activity. And with the way that the terrain is there, it's super hard to kill bulls with, with archery when they're not bugling. And, I mean, honestly, Unit 9 is where I came up with that term, the famous Arizona gray light shutdown. <laughs> hunting unit 9. Um, so, so, yeah, it has definitely stepped down a notch as far as I'm concerned, and some of the other units have ratcheted up a little bit. Not that they're, you know, on the level that 2005 in Unit 10 was, but gosh, I'm to where if I can, if I can be in Unit and get an hour of bugling after gray light, I'm happy with it. I just don't like it when they shut down at gray light. <laughs> and, and, you know, something to be pointed out here is the fact that... Um, you and I love the aspect of calling. We love the aspect of bugling. We love the aspect of the inner, you know, the interaction with the elk. And yeah. for people out there listening, there are some people that they are fine with just glassing up a bull and trying to get close to them and cutting them yeah. off or maybe slipping in and cow calling. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'll be pushing 50. You're right there with me. I mean, we're, we're basically the same age, um, you know, here in a year or two. And it's like, we've seen it where, you know, we would have, you know, let's just call it five to 10 call-ins a session, morning and evening. And people look at yeah. you now and they're like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can remember on that hunt with Gene where we call in, you know, eight, nine bulls, maybe 10 more in yeah. one morning. Right. Like, not like coming <laughs> by, like coming to the call, like coming in, like bugling in our face. Yeah. Um, so when people listen to this, they have to understand, I mean, we've seen it unbelievable and that's how we like it. And it's sometimes it's hard when, you know, these units are getting lots and lots of pressure and it seems like, um, you, know, you know, the pressure alone, you know, does you know, the gray light shutdown that you talk about when people are, you know, just driving everywhere and it just shuts them down. It's, it's kind of hard for quote unquote us old timers to kind of take. 
Um, and, and I don't want to sound like, you know, there's still a lot of great potential in Arizona and it's still probably one of the best, if not the best state for elk in the country. Um, but it is a little bit hard for me to swallow when it's not what it used to be. And, you know, with the trail camera ban and some of the different things, it's just going to be real interesting. I think over the next handful of years to kind of see how, um, all of this plays out and, and, you know, uh, I was not a proponent or I was not for the trail cam ban. I, I thought there was probably some other things that they could, they could do. Um, yeah. but it'll be interesting. I think over the next couple seasons and, you know, this elk season starting out with it, starting out on the ninth, um, you know, I think it's going to be tough for those people out there that are thinking, okay, I drew a unit nine or a 10 or a three C or, you know, premium tag to understand that like if they're not going they're not going like there's nothing you can do that's going to get them to go um and yes you can still be successful you can sit water you can glass them up you can do certain things but i think anybody going into this draw needs to realize that that ninth can be a very tough time now with that being said I think it's a great time if you just happen to hit the right opportunity where you catch that big bull before he's with, you know, 30 cows and you can get in on him and get him killed. The ninth is a great date. So for some people after the season, when we talk to them, they're going to think that the ninth was a, was a phenomenal starting day. But I think everybody needs to understand that that's, you know, usually they don't really start get going till the, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. Um, I think we're in for a little bit of a tough season. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. And and you're right, you know, there's other ways to, to get it done. And, you know, people who are glassers and stalkers certainly find a way to get it done. Um, I, I'm like you, Jay, my fulfillment comes from calling them right into my lap or right into my hunter's laps. And so, yeah, it's very hard, like you say, when you're used to calling in six, eight bulls on a morning hunt. And uh, now you feel lucky if you get one call in. Yeah. Um, just just a little frustrating. There's definitely a change. You know, I used to think, oh, there's no way that these elk are getting conditioned. They they don't re- they don't um, think like we do. They don't reason like we do. But the more that I've been around them, I just feel like they they really are getting conditioned to shutting down more and more so during gray light in certain units. Um, it's kind of interesting because one of my guides was over in unit one this past year and he told me he had a phenomenal year over there calling. Uh, I think he had a hunter for seven days and called in over 20 bulls into bow range for that guy, which is more like, you know, what I'm used to. Um, whereas I was, you know, struggling more in unit nine than he was. So I, I think it can be, you know, where you're at as well. You know, you, you mentioned 23 North and 23 South as, as kind of, you know, towards the top of the chain of, of units, um, for that archery hunt, um, explain to the listeners out there because of the limited number of tags, how that translates to not having a designated non-resident tag, or if you know what I'm saying, whereas if a unit had a hundred or 150 tags, Talk a little bit about those low tag number 22, 20, or excuse me, 23 units. Yeah, definitely makes those very quality hunts. I mean, you and I refer to that as the Jurassic Park hunt of Arizona in 23 North. 23 South is, you know, rougher and 
steeper and there's more distance between bugling bulls, but nonetheless some giants in that unit for, for sure. Um, but specifically but, like the low numbers, how that means that, you know, 10% don't go because it's, a, you know, one, 1. 1.5 or, you know, how the numbers yeah. work out. Talk a little bit about that. So people understand that, yeah, that 23 hunts may be the best of the best for bugling and, and maybe even size of bulls, but it's very difficult, even if you're a high point holder to, to even get that tag. Cause there's only yeah. one designated tag, right? This, this was something I was going to highlight, Jay. I'm glad you bring it up because they made a change this year. Okay. 23 North now has 20 tags instead of 15. So for how the does that play in? Yeah. So what that does now is for the archery and the early rifle hunt, with there now being 20 tags instead of 15 for 23 North, is now there's a potential two non-resident tags. So now there is a bonus point tag for 23 North for archery and for early rifle and then there's a potential random tag for archery and for early rifle so so now for a high points guy it opens 23 north back up to that person explain explain a little bit more compared to say 15 tags in 23 south the difference yeah exactly so if a hunt has 15 like 23 south does or like north used to have Basically, what they do is they limit the non-resident tags to 10% of the total allocation. So, if you take 15 times 10%, that's 1.5. But unfortunately, they round the 0.5 down to just one. So, on a hunt that has you know 15 or 10 tags, they're only going to issue one random tag to a non-resident at most. So, for a high point guy, you know it just doesn't make a ton of sense for them. Um, but so in other words, a, a high point holder, let's say someone had 26 points, it yeah. doesn't guarantee them anything because uh, under 20 tags, a un any unit under 20 tags, it's a random tag. So it doesn't matter if you have one or 26, it's a random tag. Your points may give you a little bit of a, a help, but the reality is it, it you're not guaranteed. Whereas now with 23 North being uh over the 20 tag threshold now there's actually two tags that are guaranteed to non-residents right yes absolutely so a high point guy that's a very attractive option now and i say with the way our draw works with it considering both your first and your second choice you lose nothing by putting that as your first choice or whatever your home run hunt might be. Maybe your home run hunt is unit 10 or unit 3C or, or unit 9. You lose nothing by putting that as a first choice and then backing it up with a second choice that's still going to meet your expectations for hunt quality. Steve, yeah. talk to, you bring up another point that I want to make sure that the listeners understand. It's um, if you have enough points to draw your second choice they don't even look at your first choice and i have people every year that let's say they say i have 21 <laughs> points and i did you know unit nine as my first choice and unit 3c as my second and i and they say well i don't know what i drew and i say well you drew 3c and they're like well how do you know the, the draw yeah. isn't <laughs> out explain yep. that explain that yeah, I have to be careful about saying, you know, very simply apply for a home run for your first choice and a base hit as your second choice because that can be, be misleading because of what you're saying. That's exactly right because the first phase of the draw is the bonus point phase 
And that's where they're considering, again, your first and your second choice in the bonus point phase. So just like you said, if you don't have enough points to draw your first choice hunt, but you do have enough bonus points to draw your second choice hunt, you're automatically going to get that second choice hunt issued to you in the bonus point phase of the draw. So since the, since the random draw doesn't happen until after the bonus point phase, you never even get to the random draw. You've already been issued a tag, and you never had the, the chance to draw that first choice. Again, that's in the instance where you have enough points to draw your second choice, but not your first choice. So if, if you have a fairly high amount of bonus points, you really want to be cautious and, and look at you know things like Go Hunt or the Arizona Game and Fish stats and see and make sure that you know if you apply for something second choice that you would be happy with that hunt if you potentially drew it um the draw is actually three phases but i'm i'm here to tell you and your listeners i, I guarantee most of us are interested in bull tags we're interested in hunting bull elk um all of those tags are going to be issued between the bonus point phase of the draw and the one two pass of the draw where it's considering your first and your second choice during that random part of the draw then by the time it gets to the third phase of the draw where it considers your third, fourth, and fifth choices all together, you can't draw anything there unless it's a, it's a cow hunt. And, and I've even noticed some, some cow hunts, you can't even draw those as a third, fourth, or fifth choice. There may be an outside chance to draw for someone to draw, say, a late archery bull tag in a non-desirable unit. But that's, that's the only thing you could draw as a third choice, Jay. I'm, I'm telling you, it's all about your first and second choice for any sort of, you know, quality hunt, especially when the bulls are bugling. For sure. Um, yep. Steve, I want to randomly shotgun down. I'm going to start with unit one. I just kind of want to go through the units. Um, some you may spend a little more time on than, than others. Some you may just say not good quality or I don't know it well and, and move on. Um, but just kind of, uh, we'll start with unit one, kind of an, we're going to start with the archery hunt. All these, what we're going to talk about here are going to be the archery hunt. And then I want to talk a little bit about late rifle, but we're going to talk about, um, the units specifically and just kind of give up expectation. Whereas if you were to draw the tag and be taking a hunter in there, you know, are they looking at a 260 to, you know, 310 type hunt? Yeah. Are they looking at a, you know, 320 to 350 or um, and, and kind of point out, uh, you know, some of the different, um, things that you see within the unit. So we'll just go down through them, um, take as little or as much time as you want, uh, on any one. So unit one, two B two C September 9th, um, 2022. Yeah. So that's got 250 bull tags as I just talked about. So 25 potential non-resident tags, um, that unit has mostly mostly 280 to 310 class bulls um you know a little harder to step up to 320 330 bulls you know there are, are some around and then there's the occasional whopper in that unit but you know it's a big giant unit um so i think a reasonable expectation for someone would be mostly 300 to 320 on that hunt the good thing about that hunt is usually they bugle well in there it's, it's got a lot of elk and it's kind of known for good bugling activity. As I just highlighted, um, having a hunter in there last year with one of my guides and he called in a lot of bulls. So, um, I don't think it's necessarily for a guy looking for, you know, 
bombers and 350 plus bulls necessarily, but still a real solid action-packed archery hunt. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that it has high to low. You've got kind of every bit of country and then that yep. wall of fire burned through there and opened up some country. I think to a detriment somewhat because hunters are so good. I don't, I think they get bounced around quite a bit, but you never know when something might hop across from the white mountain Apache. So it always has that element of, you know, you're right. going along seeing, you know, 310, you know, 315 type bulls. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a 380, 390, 400 that just pops <laughs> over the fence and comes out and runs yep. some cows. Uh, 3A, 3C. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely one of, my all-time favorites and yours too, I know. <laughs> um, I think it was better back in the early 2000s, like we were talking about with Unit 10. I still think it's a really good unit, though. Um, I feel like the last half of that archery hunt will be the best. I think mostly um, top-end bulls are going to be, you know, 330 to 350 is a reasonable expectation for a fairly top-end bull in that unit. Um you know, the later in September we get, especially during that early rifle hunt, there's the potential for more, um, you know, white mountain bulls to come over and rut. And then you can have your occasional special bull, you know, 370, 380, 400 here and there. Um, but I don't think that that's a realistic expectation. I think, you know, the better hunters or somebody who gets lucky is going to be more in the 330 to 350 range. Uh, that unit, has basically ponderosa pine burn and then pj country out north of the 260 um that's kind of flatter and easier to get around in so a, a great unit great elk hunt then you've got 3b and i noticed that the muzzleloader hunt is going in front of in the september 16th archery date so they bumped it back a little bit and the muzzleloader hunt's going in front of 3b what do you know about 3b yeah, you know, Jay, not a ton. We we get the occasional muzzleloader hunter on that hunt. Um, I, I don't like that hunt, though, this year because it's pushed forward and it's the 9th through the 15th. I feel that's too early to be a great hunt there. Um, the archery hunt will be the better hunt in there. That unit is smaller. Um, it, 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 I don't spend a lot of time in there, but some of my guides who do and know it well say it's hindered a little bit by private land issues which isn't the case with most of our units in Arizona, and so that's kind of a knock on it so i think there's a reason why it's overshadowed by one and three c uh, i think for the most part 320 330 is kind of you know the the, the norm the, the top end norm in there although you know there's an occasional better bull to be had we've taken some 340s 350s out of there um but but again, I think it's a little under the radar for good reason. I think, too, with it being so close to, you know, town, to Sholo, to Pine Top, to Lakeside, I think you get those, you know, you get the campers, you get, you know, anytime you're close to town, you get people yeah. messing with those elk. And it seems like every time I've been in 3B, it's just, you never feel like you're kind of alone. You always feel like there's, you know, dogs barking or, you know, people washing pots and pans and banging and yeah people driving through it just it, it you know you, you you need to expect a little bit of commotion how about unit 4a yeah 4a is a unit that we have not gotten a lot of demand for over the years um i have noticed it kind of coming on the radar though and getting talked about a little more um i've heard that the trophy quality is improving in there um 
you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about it just because I haven't spent a lot of time in there. Um, I do think for someone who's looking for that, you know, 300 to 330 type bull and wants some, you know, little better draw odds that it would make a sensible second choice on an application. 4B. Uh, 4B, another unit that we don't get a lot of demand for. Right there close to 3C, but amazingly, it's kind of known for having, you know, more spotty and unpredictable bugling than 3C does. I know, Jay, back in the day, you spent some time in 4B, um, but it's just not really on the radar for us. I do see that there's an early rifle hunt in there this year with 25 tags. I think with the dates, that could be a pretty good hunt. Again, for, you know, 320 to 340 bulls for the most part with the occasional better bull. Um, so again, for someone with, without super high expectations, uh, that's a unit that's going to give them better draw odds also. 5A? Yeah, 5A. I, I do have a guide that knows 5A really well. He actually prefers to hunt it. Um, it, it again is off, off the radar a little bit. Um, I think for someone with a, you know, 310 to 320 expectation, they can have a successful hunt in there. Um, it's one of those units, again, that, like you were saying, it's not close to a populated area, so that's a nice thing about it. You can get away from people, uh, you know, and have a decent hunt in there. 5B North? Yeah, 5B North, 5B South. 5B North is known for having little better bulls on the average. Um, I've noticed it kind of picking up in status you know, say the last five years, uh, you know, three, <laughs> picking up three, in status. I kind of roll my eyes cause I'm like, guys, it's still five B North. I mean, I, I, I kind of <laughs> laugh when you say that cause I do know some guys that, you know, and then there's occasionally a good one there and you'll see a good one yeah. come out of there, but it's not the norm. And I think a lot of people hear it and they just think all of a sudden it's going to be a phenomenal tag. Yeah, exactly. We we actually had a hunter in there this past fall on a seven-day archery hunt. Um, he had quite a bit of action, had quite a bit of call-ins. Um, my guy did very well in there. Um, unfortunately, the hunter hit a 320-330 class bull and, and didn't hit him well, and so wasn't able to recover him. That, that, unfortunately, is the part of the hunt that we can't control. You know, there's some years where, gosh, we're right up there close to 100% success on archery, and then other years where we're, you know, more like 50 to 75% successful, and it all comes down to the shooting and whether guys are making good lethal hits or not. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Just like a lot of other units, 5B North can be spotty and unpredictable for bugling, and you just don't totally know what you're going to get. I think like a lot of units, three, 320 to 340 is probably, you know, kind of the top end there with the occasional better bull. Okay. How about 6A? Yeah, 6A, um, I kind of label that as an opportunity hunt as opposed to a quality hunt. 700 tags in there. Uh, let me look. I got the regs right here. <laughs> Plus the cow tags. I, I'm not looking at it, but, I mean, we're talking like, 12, 13, 1400 tags, I think, in the unit between the bull tags and the cow tags. Yeah, and you know, it has a ton of elk, but it just gets hammered with pressure. Yeah, exactly. People have to realize that that definitely translates and has an effect on the rutting activity when you've got that much action, that much people action out there in the woods. Yeah, there's 700 
archery bull tags in that unit. And yes, it's a big unit. Yes, it has a lot of elk, but don't apply for that if you're wanting a quality hunt where you're not seeing a ton of people out there and a lot of camps and all of that. You know, I think someone could kill a three, excuse me, a 280 to 320 bull on that hunt. Um, but again, with the early dates, I think it could be a super frustrating slow hunt because of the pressure out there. So, yeah, I don't really have that one high on the radar. 6B. Yeah, another unit um, that I actually guided a hunter in there. I think it was in 2001, and we killed a 360 bull on that unit. Um, I remember that. Not it's that that the is the last 360 bull to ever come out of there. <laughs> <laughs> that was ever seen in the unit, right? And James got him. <laughs> and, that, and that bull was lost. Somehow he managed to make his way into 6B, but he got shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the take on that unit. Yeah, it's small. It doesn't have um, the extensive elk habitat that some of the other units have. So it's, it's a little bit limited. So you may look at it and go, oh, well, it's got a lot fewer tags than 6A, but it doesn't have as much elk habitat. So those 155 bull tags, it can seem pretty crowded. Um, and, and it's close to Williams and Flagstaff there. So again, you get fall recreationalists out there. And it can impact the hunt. So, again, someone that doesn't have high expectations that can roll with it if there's not good bugling and still be okay with that, you know, and is happy with, you know, say any six-point bull, yeah, it might make a sensible second choice for that person. Seven East. Yeah, that was my last archery tag, believe it or not, in 2010. And... I came away with a bull that's right at 350. Big story behind that. I won't go into it, but that unit has really taken a tumble overall since then. Um, the elk numbers are down. The quality's down. Um, I think that was due to how aggressive they got with that the the peaks, peaks hunt for yeah. several years. Yeah, really, really put a crush on the elk. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, 280 to 310 bulls. Um, I know on my hunt, even back in 2010, you talked about spotty, inconsistent bugling and a slow, frustrating hunt. It took me till the evening of day 13 to shoot that bull that I shot. So, uh, <laughs> very patient hunter needed for that one. That is a unit where someone could get up and glass, potentially, if that's what someone, someone likes to do. And, uh, you know, glass and stock elk is a possibility there. Um, Okay, how about again, 7 West? Yeah, 7 West. Better hunt than 7 East, better quality. Um, there's some bulls that run back and forth between 7 West, 10 and 9 there. Um, it's also got volcanic mountains, so a guy can glass there. And then you've got some classic high country with Aspen and you know Ponderosa Pine and stuff all the way out to Pinion Juniper Country. Um, but again, right, right there north of Williams, um, pretty busy unit as far as people activity a little hard to get away and get alone with elk um there have been some great bulls here and there taken out of that unit you know 390 400 plus type type stuff but i would say overall you know 320 330 is kind of a reasonable expectation for seven west unit eight yeah unit eight was much better at 150 bull tags um they have ratcheted it up over the last few years 
to 250, uh, yes, that's definitely helped the, the draw odds. That unit no longer takes a ton of points to draw. In fact, I think for non-residents, it's maybe in that 12 bonus point range to draw that archery hunt, guaranteed. Um, and then, of course, you got those random non-resident tags as well. Again, for people without high expectations who can tolerate spotty bugling, um, you know, for better draw odds, eight would make a good second choice. The crazy thing about that unit, Jay, is I, I think overall reasonable expectation would be 300 to 330, but there's the occasional giant in that unit. Yeah, it's a big yeah. enough unit that yeah. every once in a while a bull can get old enough. They've got genetic, good genetics that all of a sudden, you know, that's the thing about Unit 8. You talk to 99% of the hunters and they say it was horrible and you get the 1% or 2% that, you know, they run into a bull that's, you know, 370 plus and they kill them and they think it's the greatest thing. But yeah, um, the, the giants, tag right? numbers have not helped that that unit. I mean, it was mediocre when it was good and now that it's just gotten so much pressure, um, it, it's made it tough. How about Unit 9? Yeah, yeah, nine. I was. <laughs> I'm going to say something real quick about eight. We yeah. had two archery hunters in there this last year. One of them shot at and missed a big bull, 350 plus bull, and then ended up settling for a five by five late in his hunt. The other guy, unfortunately, hit a 360 or better bull, and again, like the five B North hunter, uh, just didn't make a good hit, and we weren't able to recover that bull. I hate that about. Uh, the whole aspect of that, you know, I hate it for the hunter. I hate it for the animal. I hate it for us. Just nothing good comes out of that. So yeah, always try and make good. good shots. Exactly. Broadside shots, make good shots, standing broadside shots. Um, so unit nine, as I was mentioning, has taken us a, a step down for me, uh, not in trophy quality. I feel like that unit still is solid for great bulls. No doubt. I mean, even last year on the dry year, I was surprised at how good some of the bulls were. But God gone, when they're quiet and when they gray light shut down on you, it just gets super frustrating. I, I would say, Jay, in honesty, this is not exaggerating. They gray light shut down on me 11 out of the 14 mornings on that archery hunt last year. And, and to put that in perspective, like, um, Steve will never say it, but guys, we're talking about the best elk caller I've ever heard in my entire life in the field. <laughs> and if they're shutting down on Steve, 11 out of the 14 mornings, I mean, Steve, we used to hunt that and have the evenings would be rough, but we'd go out and have 14 great mornings or maybe one would be lost to weather or something. But I mean, we'd have, yeah. we'd have, let's say 11 12 13 mornings out of 14 that were phenomenal morning hunts yep. in unit nine and that it, it it's just not really the case anymore yeah and and jay i want to stress on those mornings where they shut down that was without me blowing a call at them without me pursuing them without me being upwind to them them having no idea that i'm even there so i'm listening to you know anywhere from three to five bulls on those mornings bugling within earshot you know say half to three quarters of a mile away and listening to him bugle for an hour or more and then gray light hits without taking a step toward him they would shut up and not talk again <laughs> that, yeah that's like, a pressured elk yeah no, no matter what then after then when they shut up and you start pursuing then you're faced with that decision well do i blow calls at him now 
Should I try it? And it seems like it doesn't matter if you cow call, bugle, blow this type of bugle at them, blow that type of cow call at them. It, it doesn't matter. When, when they shut down, the more I do this, the more I realize it, it, it's all about them and the state that they're in and what's going on with them as far as the rut goes. And when they're bugling on their own, that's when they're receptive to a call. When, they're, when they shut down and are not vocal, it is so hard to get them to, to come into a call. For sure. Um, trophy yep. quality, what do you still see it as? Yeah, I still think, um, you know, there's a real possibility of 340, 350, and then, you know, there's always a handful of great bulls, 370, 380, and then, you know, a couple <laughs> being talked about that are in that 400 range. I mean, there's a reason why people with the, uh, the auction and the raffle tags are <laughs> combing that unit a lot, looking sure. for their bull in that unit. Yeah, so it's it's still there as far, far as trophy quality. Unit 10. Uh, I think 10, as far as trophy quality, has kind of rebounded. They, for a few years, they had higher tag allocations. They've backed those off. I think, I want to say it's been four or five years now at least. That, that has helped. Um, so I feel like the trophy quality is solid there. I think like unit nine, three forty, three fifty is a fairly reasonable expectation for a good hunter who's fit and can get around. Um, and then you know the chance for a giant here and there, especially if the moisture is good. I think this year that we're set up for good antler growth. Um, of course, I can't predict what the spring is going to do, but with us having record monsoons and then good fall storms and these elk going into the winter super healthy and slick, they're really set up to grow good antlers this year if we have any kind of green up this spring. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Steve, mm -hmm. real fast, uh, 11M. Yeah, Jay, I don't get any demand for that unit, um, so I'll just kind of pass on it. It's kind of a city unit and a real non-traditional elk hunt. <laughs> um, how about like a unit 21? Yeah, another unit that I have virtually never had an elk hunter in. I've coos deer hunted that a little bit, but just haven't had a, an elk hunter. I, uh, to my knowledge, very few tags, um, mostly rough country. For a fit hiker, just like with Unit 27, it might be a good hunt for someone like that. Yeah, I mean, definitely could put get away and maybe find a big bull, but most people are going to really struggle. What about Unit yeah. 22? Yeah, that hurt, that unit has kind of suffered from high tag allocations. They definitely crushed that unit on the late hunt. They, it's the only unit with two late rifle hunts. Um, I feel like during the archery hunt, for someone without high expectations, they, they, they need to know first that there's a lot of rough country, a lot of brushy, rough country. Um, but the bulls can bugle really well in that. I remember, Jay, one evening, we went over there when my dad had the 23 early rifle tag. We went over there and called in 22 and called in some bulls that evening. Um, so that still resonates with me. I think for the most part, you know, 280 to 300 is, is what you're looking at for archery with the maybe occasional 320, 330 bull. Okay, we talked about 23 North, we talked about 23 South, um, probably better bugling and more consistent action in 23 North, uh, maybe a little bit bigger bull in 23 South because of pockety, kind of hard to get to, rougher country. Yeah. Uh, 27, unit 27 is a unit you know well, what do you think about it? 
Yeah, yeah, we haven't touched on that one yet. Um, like you talked about a little earlier, that wall of fire hit that unit hard in 2011, so we've been over a decade since then. That has made that a much better late rifle hunt, but the reason I mentioned that is because that has hurt the trophy quality overall in that unit. Um, I feel like for the archery hunt, 320, 330, again, because of the rough, rugged nature of the unit and some areas that, you know, that still have the thick timber, you always have the chance for a giant in that unit, no doubt. Um, but it's going to be for someone who can hike and get around, you know, and hunt in nine, 10,000 foot elevations and hunt steep hillsides. It's not for everyone. Um, the, you know, my experience in there, the bugling has been a little bit inconsistent, but I have been in there during some droughty years, so I don't want to totally judge it based on that. I do feel like Unit 1 typically has more rutting activity and is a little more hunter-friendly, you know, a little more friendly as far as terrain goes. Um, yeah, for the right kind of guy who doesn't mind rough country, 27 is a little bit of a sleeper. Steve, I want to talk about the laid elk hunts, but before we do that, um, kind of the cream of the crop of the of the elk hunts in Arizona, I, I think are, you know, the archery hunts are great because you have two weeks, but then you've got these early rifle hunts, um, and it looks like unit uh, 4B, 3C, 4B, 10, um, correct me if I'm wrong... 23 north looks like 23 south and unit 27 are all early rifle hunts out of those if you had to pick which one do you think is the best early rifle hunt this year coming up yeah i think as far as action and chance for a real solid bull i'd have to say 23 north overall um i, I would say with the dates being what they are 3c nine and ten could all produce great bulls with those good dates i think again 350 plus bulls could come out of there for the right kind of hunter you know with some special bulls here and there i also noticed that they uh you know in region two they kind of rotate the early rifle hunt around they have an early rifle hunt in unit eight so as much as i kind of knocked on unit eight a little bit ago i think that could be a pretty good hunt if those elk aren't too hung over from all the activity during the archery hunt, uh, that's got 25 tags on it. Um, but again, I'd say your best hunts are 3C, 9, 10, and 23 North. What about uh, the, the muzzle tickler hunt? Uh, <laughs> I knew you'd like that. The, the muzzle tickler <laughs> hunt in uh, Unit 1, 2B, 2C, September 23rd. Um, how, how do you rate that as far as, you know, being a little bit more limited with the muzzle loader um, compared to the early rifle? Do you see that one 2B2C muzzleloader hunt as a pretty good hunt? Yeah, I, I do. Um, again, I don't think there, there's great trophy potential in that unit. The age class is, is a little lower than in some of the other units. Um, of course, some... You know, out of 35 tags, there'll probably be three guys who kill 350 or 60 or better bulls. So, not saying that that's not possible. But overall, I think 320, 330 with a great rut and a lot of fun and a lot of action and a lot of elk is going to be the reasonable expectation on, on that hunt. Um, I think it's no doubt the best muzzleloader hunt this year. Um, like we said, they, they pushed the uh, 3B hunt and 
in front of the archery hunt. So I think that kind of hurts that hunt. Steve, when you talk about late elk uh, in Arizona, as far as kind of the top, I, I look at like a 23, I look at a 27, I look at a 10, and a unit one. Those are kind of my top four. The reason that they're my top four is I feel like, and maybe not even in any specific order, but those are kind of the units where you can kind of see. You can look, you can glass, you kind of have the ability to look across the canyon. Before, like unit one wasn't really on the radar, but now because of the fire and 27, you can actually glass across those canyons. Um, so as far as late hunts, would you agree that you know, that 27, 23, unit one, unit 10, those are kind of the top of the top of the late hunts? Totally, Jay. I absolutely agree. You've got to have the right to topography and terrain to late hunt successfully. If you're hunting in a mostly flat, thick unit, late hunts are just super frustrating. Um, that kind of reminds me, you know, as far as my zero hunt fees program, I have several units that I offer for late hunts and, the, and they include those units that you just mentioned. And I'll have people say, well, why don't you, you know, offer uh, late hunts and some other units? And I, I tell them that because I want you to be successful if you draw a hunt, I want you to have a good hunt, have the opportunity at a good bowl and late hunts, especially You've got to have things set up right to where you can glass long range or across canyons and then be able to, you know, shoot that elk when you see them. You can get up high and glass bowls up in flat, thick stuff, but then how are you going to kill them when they're, you know, down in flat, thick cedars? It's very tough. So, yeah, those units that you just named off are the cream of the crop for late hunts. Um, and I talk more and more with people about how they need to be prepared for long range shooting. Um, you know, we, we're definitely not all about shooting at them as far as possible, but I kind of say that the game with late hunting begins at 400 yards and goes out from there just because of the habitat that those bulls go to late in the year. I mean, they want to get away from pressure. They want to get lost and the stuff that they'll get in is unreal. Yeah, for sure. Steve, can you hold on just a second? Poppy, uh, Scott is having a dispute with a neighbor dog here real fast. Hang on. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry about that, Steve. I put uh, the attack dog inside and the neighbor's dog is still uh, causing a little ruckus. But, uh, um, you know, one thing to say real fast is the late elk hunts in Unit 1 and 27, because of the fire, I think one of the frustrating things for me, who's a real advocate of wanting people to have a real quality hunt and having a real quality elk to be able to hunt when they draw a tag is... I really feel like the quality in 1 and 27 has diminished greatly because yeah. of the fire and the ability that the hunters are great. And it's kind of a double-edged sword. I want everybody to be successful, but I feel like the number of tags and the ability for them to really glass and hit those burns hard, really what made Unit 1 and 27 pretty good units for a long time as they had some thick timber and had the ability to hide and I feel like the quality has really dropped from everything I'm hearing in 1 and 27 and I think a lot of it's pointed directly to those late hunts the number of tags and the accessibility of those elk with the burn and being able to see them yeah couldn't agree more Jay absolutely I see that they even uh up the tags in unit 27 on the late hunt um, from 400 to 425 so they're going to continue to put pressure on those elk and degrade the trophy quality in there you're, you're right i mean when you have a hunt like that with higher success rates 
due to the fact that you can see better and hunt areas that you used to not be able to hunt, it's going to degrade the trophy quality, and that's exactly what's going on in those two units. For sure. Uh, yep. Steve, it's always great having you on the podcast and um, chatting with you about elk and your love for elk. Um, I'm looking forward to the new season of Elk Camp TV. That usually kicks off in July, is that right? Late June, depending on how the calendar falls. Typically late June, yeah. Okay, yep. sounds good. And you've got uh, season five uh, will be kicking off late June, is that right? Yeah, I'm editing away on it. as <laughs> Really not a lot yet because I've been talking to a lot of people about the Arizona draw. But, but yes, season five kicking off this summer. Okay, sounds good. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, people uh, that are listening, if they're interested in Zero Hunt Fees program, what is the best way for them to immediately uh, get the info on that? Yeah, no doubt. Just to log on to zerohuntfees.com is the best way okay perfect um steve uh any new i i want some i want some uh, proprietary information here on the j scott podcast you always have something up your sleeve new with elk calls anything you can tell us about uh right now or do we have to wait till uh, summer to see what's up your sleeve <laughs> jay there is potentially <laughs> a new call in the works a mouth read potential you dirty dog you you're always <laughs> working on something um talk about your love for that and and kind of developing and and working with rocky mountain hunting calls um you know and those guys and trying to make good elk calls yeah this is the 12th year kind of crazy <laughs> how time has flown um yeah i've been very fortunate working with those guys um to be able to come up with calls that, you know, I think really hit the mark as far as tonal quality. Um, gosh, I think especially the open read calls. I, that trophy wife call, Jay, I, I, I just don't feel like there's a call that I've ever blown that is sweeter for me than that trophy wife. Um, still, still working to put out the perfect mouth diaphragm, in my opinion, and we're trying to get there. Um, an, another call that I think that, that we really hit the mark on is that rogue bugle tube. Um, I really love the three dimensional quality of that call. Um, the, the small size and portability, but yet big time three dimensional sound. I just think that calls a home run. Um, yeah. So between, uh, that, that rogue bugle tube and that trophy wife call. I don't think there's a bull you shouldn't be able to call in unless maybe they're in unit nine, <laughs> <laughs> which you, which you've learned firsthand for the last 10 years. It's uh, harder to do every year. I know, um, buddy, it's awesome having you on. I'm glad everything's going well in your world. Recommend the listeners reach out and check out the zero hunt fees.com website. And uh, thanks for everything that you do for us as elk hunters and uh, wish you the best of success in the draws coming up. And um, I'm, I'm kind of in a spot because I haven't drawn since 2005, which means I have wow. just a boatload of points. And, um, oh. you know, I've, I've, I've got to figure out, you know, I, I'm, I'm eyeballing this year for sure because I know of the monsoon year, you know, the good monsoon we had last year. Um, I I would like it if we would be getting a little bit more moisture right now than we've been getting. Uh Um, but, uh, as you know, a wet spring can change everything. 
Um, and yep. so I'm, I kind of eyeballing a few units myself and, uh, we'll see how it goes, but, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing with us. Okay, buddy. Oh, loved it, Jay. Thank you so much. Thanks to your listeners. Uh, all the best to everyone in the draw and God bless. Thank you, Jay. You bet, buddy. Take care. Thanks. Bye.